Well, good morning, congregation. How's everybody doing today? Good, nice, nice, awesome. Well, um, I would like to read to us out of Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. So if uh, you want to follow along on the screens behind you, it will be there. If you want to find it in your own uh, Bible, I will give you a second to do that. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 17 through 26. If you should say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them. You shall well remember that the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. The great trials which your eyes saw and the signs and the wonders and the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So shall the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet against them until those who are left and hide themselves from you perish. You shall not dread them, for the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. You will not be able to put an end to them quickly, for the wild beasts would grow too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will deliver them before you and will throw them into great confusion until they are destroyed. He will deliver their kings into your hands so that you will make their name perish from under heaven. No man will be able to stand before you until you have destroyed them. The graven images of their gods you are to burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves, or you will be snared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. You shall not bring, the look on your all's faces is fantastic, okay? Like, why is, why is he reading this passage? It gets better. You shall not bring an abomination into your house, and like it come under the ban. You shall utterly detest it, and you shall utterly arbor it, for it is something banned. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, man, these passages are hard, right? I don't know about you. There are some words that I hear that then I can't hear anything else. And whenever God commands the people of Israel to destroy and kill other people, I have a hard time hearing anything else after that. Am I alone or do other people have a hard time when they read scripture and it's a command from God that he's going to destroy and kill others? That that tends to be a pretty common struggle amongst all believers, not just us. Um, And I get it. I get it because we don't live in their age and we don't live in their time. And it is. I just, let's name that. That's hard. This is a weird passage to read. Um, But I'd like to, um, as your pastor, maybe to instruct both you and I to put on different lenses. All right? And the lenses that I want us to put on are not historical lenses, but theological ones. 
What might that mean? Um, what that means is what does this say about God and what does this say about people? That's how you can begin to think theologically. Not what happened and not how in the world could God, I don't know why I jogged right there, but that was a neat little, it's a neat little run right there. Uh, but uh, not, not why did God or what did God do and how in the world did God do that? How could such a God be so evil, be so mean, detest others? That's more of a scientific, historical approach. Then let's take those lenses off if that's possible. Okay? If you're new to Bible study, I would give you the same advice when you read Genesis 1 and 2. I would say take your scientific lenses off. Okay? Say your science that tells you, well, how in the world is the world created in seven days? That may be a fair question, but that's a scientific question. I'd say it helps us better when we worship God to ask theological questions. So for illustration, instead of reading Genesis 1 with the question of how in the world could God create a world in seven days, all right, and try to figure it out how it works and try to find the, the ark in Nor Norway somewhere and prove that God exists. Instead of looking at it scientifically, what does it mean? What does it say about a God? One God, by the way, not many gods, just one God that created all the things that we need to live. What does it say about that God? What does the number seven mean to the people that God said that word to? And it means completion, by the way. And what does it mean that God creates completely and wholly without error, without mistake? God completes everything we need to breathe and to live. What does that say about God? That's reading Genesis 1 theologically. Is that making sense? So what if we read Deuteronomy 7 theologically? Not scientifically or historically, because that God kind of sucks, to be honest with you. What type of God is that? That if I like, got up here today and said, thus saith the Lord, everyone from Pleasant Hill will die, and we will take over their town. Well, sorry if you live in Pleasant Hill. Or what if we began to adopt words like that as nation states? How dangerous does that become? That the Lord God has chosen a particular nation, and anyone that would come into that nation that's not from that nation, we will kill you and destroy you. How dangerous does that become? That's, that's reading the word of the Lord with a particular lens that I think becomes very, very dangerous. So, if I haven't sidetracked this too much, I want to invite you this morning to hear a few things theologically about God. What does Deuteronomy 7 say about the character of God? What is God like according to Deuteronomy 7? Why is it so important? Well, the first point here would be that God has chosen a people for himself. That this is from the very beginning of creation. We see that God has a plan and God has a purpose. And he breathes and creates into the Adam, into the human being, and therefore begins relationship with humankind. 
Well, when humankind distances themselves from God and breaks the relationship and the congruency there between the human being and God, when humanity sins and breaks that apart, there becomes this chasm and their distance. Most of us are well-versed in the story. But though Adam and Eve may have forgotten the pleasures of Eden, you know who never forgot Eden? God. And if you read the story of the Bible, this is a big task, but if you read it from Genesis to Revelation, you'll find that gardens are mentioned all the time. You know who never forgets where we were created and when we were created, and most importantly, how and why we were created? You know who never forgets that? God. And so that huge, so that there was this chasm between humanity and God, this was mostly on humanity's side. God never, ever forgets Eden. Another way, Jacqueline, to say this is when God creates, God creates a particular place for a purpose. And that place reflects whom God is, the very nature of God. What do we know about that place? Well, we know that everything in it gave life. Every tree was fruit-bearing. Everything was reproductive. There was a cycle of life and a connection and a congruency and a cohesion amongst all created matter. The place, you wouldn't have to go anywhere else to find life. You could live your whole entire life in the place of Eden. Food was enough for you. There was enough cultivation and enough job for everybody to have vocation. There was literally nothing you needed anywhere else. It was all in Eden. So what we know about God is that when God created, God created with a particular relationship in mind between God and humanity and a particular place where that relationship would happen. Place. Well, Tim, what happens to humanity? I think one of the ways to describe the sin in Genesis chapter 3 is to say that humanity didn't think that they needed to be in that place. That place didn't really mean anything to them. In fact, maybe it did, Nathan. Maybe it did. This is just me thinking out loud. Maybe it did mean something to them. It Place meant that there was a better place out there for them. A place where they didn't have to be told what to do. They could tell others what to do. And in fact, I think the temptation in that passage, I think the temptation is maybe kind of exactly that. Eve, why are you taking orders here? (laughs) You could have a mind like God. You could transcend to a place, a place in which you're not subject to this. And perhaps for us, We get those same temptations all the time, right? Like, think about it in terms of your job. How many of us are struggling in that place? Like, that's a physical place, right? For most of us, it is, even if it's in your living room and you work from home. But you go to that computer or you go to that phone and you're at the place of work. We all have places that dominate our life. And how many of us thinking right now about leaving that place? You don't have to... Gene just straight up said, me, bro. (laughs) Uh, 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 I think we all kind of at some time feel that way. Now, please, for the love of all things good and holy, do not answer this question. 
but your marriage, your dating relationship, it's a place as well. It's a place. How many of us are thinking about leaving that right now because you could be better if you weren't under the rule of someone else? And you begin to think like, you begin to think, man, you know what? That age-old saying, Stephen, the grass is greener on the other side. Well, that's not just you. So take solace that you are not alone. Humanity has been struggling with this very thing since Garden of Eden was a thing, <laughs> since it was a place. This is an age-old struggle that has gone on for years and years and years. But though we struggle with continuity, I'd made that word up. I added a couple vowels there. <laughs> Though we may struggle with solitude, with solidarity, with staying in place, though we may struggle with that, God doesn't. God knows exactly where place is. Where is God's place? It's a garden of Eden. That's God's place. It's like heaven. It is heaven. Garden. That's God's place. That's where God lives. That's where God reigns. That's what God created. Everything we ever needed is in the garden of Eden. There's not one thing that we need. Anything, any desire that you can think of, any desire, even that desire. When I mention the word desire, and we're so formed by stuff in our world that when I say desire, there's pretty much only one thing that the guys are thinking about, and maybe two or three things the girls are thinking about. Yes, even that desire. There's not one desire that's not fulfilled in us in Eden. God has a place. And so the story goes that God speaks to Moses. And God tells Moses, you need to go back. He said, go back where? Go back to the place that I created. I never meant for you to leave. Now, when I'm talking here, I'm making some assumptions that you know who Moses is. He became the prophetic and literal leader for Israel for 40 years. His people were in Egypt. They weren't made to be in Egypt. They were in exile. They were meant for Canaan land, the land where Jerusalem is, the land that's a lot of miles north of them. The problem is that land had become inhabited. It become inhabited by people that did not know God's ways. It'd be another way to say this, a theological way to say this, is that Canaan land was inhabited by people that did not know Eden. They did not know the love of mutuality. They did not know the incredible gift of freedom. The freedom to love one another, the freedom to serve one another, the freedom to care for one another. No, whoever inhabited Canaan, there were seven nations. Whoever inhabited those seven nations, they just did not know how to live like God. But that's not how God created the world. God did not create the world for people to kill one another and to be greedy and to rob one another. To express their dominance over each other. For one gender to rule over another gender. For one race to rule over another race. This is not God's idea. 
Everything that people, that humanity, regardless of nation, everything they needed was in Eden. And God desperately had a word for humankind. A word of place. That in the place of Eden, God is glorified and humanity flourishes. I have a place. So I want you to go back. I want you to go back to that place and I want you to redeem. You're getting Bible 101 this morning, by the way, okay? I want you to go back to a place and I want you to redeem that place. So I want to give you some context. If you're following along in your scriptures, it's verse 1. The book of Deuteronomy is written to the people that are going back to a place. Why are they going back to a place? They're going back to a place to redeem it because God had a plan. He already had a plan. He didn't need a new one. He had one. It's Eden. They're not going back to physically Eden, but God is going to recreate. If they listen and if they obey God's laws, God will have effectively recreated Eden right there where God was calling them. So he needs them to go back. Making sense. So here we go. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, you are entering to possess it. God has a place in mind for God's people to live in God's way and for that place to become a very shelter for all and a very beacon of light, like a a lighthouse that shines light all across the world that this is where God reigns this place. God is going to give you a place to possess. What is God going to do? He's going to give a land to possess. What is God going to do? Answer me. What is God going to do? Oh, okay, yeah. I see you getting sleepy, and it's okay. It's all right. If you're getting sleepy, it's probably because you need sleep more than you need to hear my voice. So it's, it's honestly okay. But there's some of you that are sleeping because you're checking out. And I don't want you to check out because God gave me a word just for you. And so I know I'm taking a long time getting there, but I don't want you to check out because God gave me a word for you, and I'm so excited to share it. So what, what, what did God do? Give us the land. Yep, this is what God is going to do. He's going to give you, I like the word place better. God is going to give us what? Place, okay? This is a promise of God. What is God going to do? And this is also a theological way to read Deuteronomy 7. What is God going to do? Well, he's going to give us a place. Now go to verse 6. Who? Who are we and who is this God? It's identity. It's the same question we all ask, right? We all know in high school we've all got a place. We go to high school. That's where we live. But in high school, while we're in high school, what are we asking? We're asking all the questions about identity. Am I right, John? We want to know if we're cool. (laughs) We want to know if we're straight. We want to know if we're gay. We want to know if we're boy. We want to know if we're girl. We just want to know who we are. That's the great questions of high school, man. We just want to know, who am I good at anything? What do I do? Everybody's asking these questions. Israel's asking the same questions. Okay, I've got a place. Well, then who am I? Well, God answers. Verse 6. This is a theological way to read Scripture. Verse 6. This is who you are. You are a holy people. 
That's different than the people that are living in the land currently. You are holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, he has chosen you. Verse 7. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the other peoples. The Lord did not look down on you and see that you excelled at sport and said, Ooh, I'm going to call you to be the greatest athlete of all time because you are the most gifted athlete. Ooh, you are good. I'm just using metaphors that equal success to us in our culture. You are the smartest. Oh, you are so smart. You're so intelligent that I'm going to elevate you into positions of senior management because you are smart. Success for them was numbers. That's not too different from us. God did not say. It's in Scripture. It's very clear there. And this isn't even one of those fancy paraphrase Scriptures. This is like the most literal Scripture you can find. New American Standard Bible. This is... It's like close to fundamental stuff right here, man. Okay? <laughs> it says it. The Lord cannot, did not set his love on you because you proved something to him. Because you impressed him. You're so big and so large. You're probably one of them mega churches. Man, God looked down and said, oh, my goodness, you have seven different types of youth groups to join. I'm going to bless you. You have a slide in your church that goes from the foyer down to children's church. I think that's awesome. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a straight shot all the way up to the top of our little tower right here. We ought to build a slide, and that's how I could enter every Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. But sometimes we think of God's choice and God's favor as God chooses those who have impressed God. That's very clearly here. You're a holy people. You're going to be into a place that I want you to represent who I am. But not because you're more in number than anybody else. Verse 8. Verse 8. Let your eyes take that in. But because the Lord loved you. I asked God this morning what I was to say to you. Because I had all these notes and it felt like I was just going to teach you. And I was like, God, that doesn't feel right because I'm not much of a teacher. I'm not really good at it. I interject way too much opinion. That's why I'm not a good teacher. So I said, God, I, I, don't, I don't know. God said, tell them they're loved. Verse 8, this isn't words Pastor Jake makes up. Verse 8, but because the Lord loved you, he chose you. He has a place for you. You're not here by mistake. I think you're here because you're holy. Oh, I know. I understand. You cussed on your way over here. I get it. I get it. You're not perfect. But the Holy Spirit lives within you, making you the vessel that he wants you to be. In time, friend, you're going to be just like God wants you to be because he will never leave you nor forsake you. His word is in you. His presence is with you. He's looked upon you and said, Ooh, I've got a child in Lee Summit. You are mine. So let's just relax a little bit, okay? 
Your pastor's not going to be perfect, and neither are you. But our God is perfect, and our God is in us. And we're on our way towards perfection. When will we reach that? Oh, probably in heaven. But that will be a really great day. Would you join me with the journey? We'll just be broken until we get there. Right? God's making us into whom God wants us to be. Just got to trust it. You're loved. Oh, man, God loves you. And I love you too. I want to read to you verse 9. Well, this is what you need to know, people of God, going into a land that you don't own. (laughs) Oh, boy. Help us, Jesus. You need to know, therefore, that the Lord your God, he is God. The faithful God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness. Tanner, Liz, would you come? You're going to hold me accountable not preaching forever because I'm about to go. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God, he is God. The faithful God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generations. With those who love him. And keep his commandments. You need to know above all else that the place that I'm taking you, I'm taking you there because I created it and I have a plan for it. And it's my plan and I will not forget it. I will look for someone. I'll look for anyone. I'll inhabit anybody. It doesn't matter. I just need a people. I need somebody that will trust me and I will never forsake you. I'll never turn my back on you. I'm going to lead you into a place in which I want you to redeem that entire place to look like me. The whole entire land to look like heaven. I just need somewhere to live and I need someone to speak of my faithfulness and promises and so I chose you because I love you so then you get to our scriptures the ones about destroying people I don't know about all of that it will be one of the first questions I ask God honest to goodness it will be that and LGBTQ if you want to know when I get to heaven I'm going to ask them. both those questions will be my first two questions to ask them. I have a lot of questions and I don't have any of the answers, but Jesus does. And so I'm not going to stand up here and act like I know the answers, beat the Bible, and tell you that I know. I'm going to trust that Jesus is going to lead us into those answers. One of those is about the violence and destruction that we read in the Old Testament. Jesus will tell us about it, okay? He will. But in this one, verse 17, if you should say in your heart, these nations, God, these nations are greater than I when we get to Canaan land, there's seven of them. God, and you know, we've traveled this entire 40 years without weapons. God, what in the world am I going to do when you send me to nations that have been developed and established over generations? And I show up what, with a few rocks? Be careful now. I- What in the world am I going to do with these? Yeah, I don't know either. If you should say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I possess them? You shall not be afraid. You shall well remember that the Lord your God, what he did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt, the great trials which your eyes saw and the signs and wonders and the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out, so shall the Lord your God do to all the people of whom you are afraid. Don't you know who I am? Don't you remember? 
done. So I've asked the Lord, what am I supposed to tell you? It's simple. You shall not dread. Church, I'm talking to you now. Come on. Remember. I'm going to circle back and connect that in just a minute. But verse 22, verse 21. You shall not dread. Verse 22. The Lord God will do the work. Relax, Roger. It's not all on you. (laughs) The Lord God will do the work. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Do not dread. Verse 23, the Lord God will deliver. It's amazing here how many times the word pastor is mentioned. Zero. It's amazing how many times the word children's ministry is mentioned here. How many times the word Sunday school is mentioned here? How many times the word treasurer, board member, properties board member is mentioned here? Why do we think that it's got to be all on us? Friend, this has nothing to do with my leadership. This is the difference between secular leadership and church leadership. This is the main difference that we have not gotten right for many, many years. I'm not the leader here. You understand that, right? We don't have any other language, so we use that language. If God's not our leader, you don't want this homeboy leading you. I've got a whole pile of mistakes on my desk I can show you. I make them daily. If God's not leading us, I'm going to use a technical word here, okay? If God's not leading us, we are screwed. Listen to chapter 7. Speak to God's people. Do not be afraid. Do not dread. I will clear the way. I will deliver. I will hand over. I said, God, what am I supposed to do? I said, what am I supposed to say? In 2013, there was an ownership group that owned a property on Chipman Road in Douglas. That ownership group, for all their good intentions, had lost sight of why they had originally created Summit Point Plaza. And over many years, from 1987 to 2013, this place became a place in which it did not reflect what God would desire for humanity. This place where you're sitting right behind here was a corner for prostitution. It had become very, very dark. Do you remember those days? Literally dark. There were no lights. There were only 12 of the 26 lights that worked. It was dark around here. And in darkness, what grows in darkness? The stuff that God does not desire And it grew right here, physical. This is no longer illustration. This is legit. Right here, right where you're sitting in this building. Not just this building, in all of it. All 25,000 square feet from New Fit to Post Coffee, all of it. It had become a place that no longer possessed the character of what God would desire. Well, little did you know, you were absolutely losing your mind a mile down the road. And why this body of people absolutely lost themselves. Everything in which they've known for 20-some years, for 20 years, everything that they had known for 20 years was absolutely being uprooted, upended. There were relationships that you had that you lost. There were places that you built with your own two hands that you lost. There were rooms in that building that you designed. That you taught Sunday school. I heard, Bonnie, 70 people came to your Sunday school class in that building. Is that right? 
70, that's more people that's in this room right now. Why don't you pastor this church? It would be amazing. <laughs> you know that's the truth. Maybe we can get Bonnie to teach on Sunday morning sometime. Wouldn't that be great? I just, I just really set you up right there. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. All that to say, there were good memories in that place, was there not? God did some great things back there, did he not? We are to remember those and to praise those things. But in 2013, when this place had become a place in Lee's Summit that was no longer shining the rays of God, God called the people to inhabit it, to live in this place, to reflect his glory. And he didn't choose New Beginnings Church because you were many in number because God knows we were experiencing a church split at the same exact time. We were the opposite of number. We were fact in disarray. God chose a people that were absolutely dysfunctioning. Why? I have have no idea, but God loves you, Shelly. And God wanted you, Shelly, nobody else. He wanted you in this place. If you're a visitor this morning, I'm sorry, this is awkward. The sermon's not for you. <laughs> it's for us. God's got a people and he knows our name. He has a desire, not just for New Beginnings Church. You know that's only 14,000 square feet of this space. We own it all, not just 14,000. Church, he has you here because he wants you here for new fit. He has you here because we're supposed to partner with the people that post. Their owners are lousy, but I'm just kidding. He's an owner. He's one of the owners of post. <laughs> And that isn't so that we can have a Christian coffee shop. No, 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 no. It's so that we can begin to practice the way that God sees economy. That's why. It's way more important than just having a Christian martial arts studio. No, no, no. I don't even know about that. I tell people, it doesn't really matter to me if you're Christian or not if you own a business in Chipman Gummins. What matters to me so are you going to allow your heart to be open to what God is doing? Because it's not my job to save you. But I believe that God can use you to practice gospel right here in the way that we do business. See, God has a plan for land in Lee Summit. And so he gave some land, not a lot of land, but a little bit of land in a big economic model. He gave to the people of God so that the holy people of God shall inhabit and live in it with holy hearts. Whew. Don't you see, church? I'm so glad that you're like this. You're receiving this with like encouragement. Be encouraged. And don't be afraid. You were looking around here and you're saying some things to me and to our leadership team. I'm so sorry I've had you play for so long. You're saying some things to me. You're saying, I'm burnt out. I can't go on keeping doing church the way that we're doing church. I can't go three Sundays out of four working here and working there. Jake, I'm, I can't lead this anymore. You're saying lots of things to me. It's freaking me out, guys. <laughs> Can I be honest? It freaks me out. It makes me think that it's all up to me, that I've got to be the one now. I've got to teach children's church while teaching here all at the same time. And I'm not saying that because of Jody, because Jody does an amazing job. I'm just trying to give you a thought of like my mind goes, so I have to do it all. I do it all. And then I read Deuteronomy 7. And God says, hey, idiot, don't be afraid. And tell my people that I love them and to not be afraid. 
We're here for a reason. We ain't going anywhere. God's got a purpose. He's chosen you as his people. Don't be afraid. He's going to do the work. He's going to do it. Now, it might start to look a lot different around here than what we know, what it looked like when we were at the old building, but that's okay. We're in a new place in a new day. It's new wine for a new wineskin, right? And what God wants to do around here is tell a story of redemption, and you are the people he's chosen to tell it. Praise be to God. Yeah, I'm nervous. I'm nervous because it's obvious. Things are changing around here. Don't be afraid. Do not dread. Oh, the Lord, he is the Lord God. He's faithful to a thousand generations. He is faithful. He will not change and he is not changing on you. Would you pray with me? Father God, we give you praise, Lord, this morning. We acknowledge that Chipman Commons was given unto you. This is your place. You own it. You're the landlord. God, you are. You have all of the ideas for this place. None of us know how to do church outside the old model. All we know how to do is throw VBS. God, tell us what to do. That is good, but show us what to do with Chipman Commons because none of us know what we're doing. God, you've given us this place. Steward it, Lord, so that your kingdom will reign right here on Douglas and Chipman as it does in heaven. Father, thank you for your promise and your faithfulness. Lord, with resounding energy, we say we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Pastor Megan's going to come and lead us into communion.